Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're just joining us. We're having a crucial conversation throughout the program today as we talk about race and race relations here in the state of Utah. Utah's been a very welcoming place for Jewish people across the ages here in Salt Lake. And the community, of course, is no stranger to bigoted attacks as well here in the Beehive State. And so what can we be doing better uh, to build those bridges, especially to fight anti-Semitism in all its form here in the state? And uh, joining us to have this part of our conversation, uh, really pleased to have joining us Dr. Jay Jacobson. He is the chair of the Task Force on Anti-Semitism for the United Jewish Federation of Utah. Uh, More importantly, he is simply a leader who is helping focus and help pass hate crimes legislation here in the state of Utah as well. Dr. Jacobson, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks very much for having me. So obviously we've had some very high-profile anti-Semitic vandalism and uh, taunts and words in Salt Lake City and Park City communities recently. Give us your perspective on those in terms of what's what's the feeling there? What are you seeing? What do you sense? Uh, so a couple of things that are, are helpful. You mentioned the word high-profile. And in your world, and I think in ours, high-profile usually means media attention. And it means lots of people know about something. And I think that one of the things that's interesting about prejudice and racism is the vast majority of incidents that uh, attack people because of who they are or how they look are never reported. So in some ways, the feelings about a high-profile incident, I think, are mixed. I think the first reaction is it's horrible. Uh, Most people, I think, are embarrassed and troubled by it. The Jewish community feels threatened. Uh, and frightened as a result of that. So it has that implication. But I don't think we should ever forget that an event that we call high profile is a lot like the tip of an iceberg. If you interview students at middle school or high school who belong to minorities, they will tell you that an anti-Semitic event, a racist event, an anti-LGBTQ action or speech is something they experience, if not every day. Rarely a week goes by without it. So high profile, very disturbing, but in some ways very good, because I think it makes people aware of something that's actually going on quite commonly. Oh, that is an extraordinary insight, Dr. Jacobson, and I hope we all just pause and think about that. For all of the high profile uh, things that we hear or see or that get reported, uh, there are far more that never go reported or that never go really recognized, and those are the ones we really got to worry about. Uh, the high-profile well, ones I, are, are usually the outliers, uh, but to your point, Dr. Jacobson, it's all the other things that we really got to get at. 
I think that's right, and they don't all occur for the same reason. Mm. And I think that, once again, it's extremely helpful to take an opportunity like this, as you say, to be reminded of events that don't make the headlines. But for the individuals involved, they can be just as hurtful. Let's, let's look at the detail. What we're very concerned about now are two, I, I'm going to use two strong examples. One of them was the scratching of a swastika on the glass door of a synagogue yes. uh, in 2020. And the most recent one is kind of the chalking of a swastika on the bottom of a desk in a Park City high school. So in both cases, those are not incidents that affect an individual personally, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody was injured in the right. course of that. Those are almost just symbols, but they're incredibly powerful. That particular symbol means to many people the genocide of six million individuals from their faith uh, a long time ago. But the fact that someone is using that symbol now is incredibly disturbing. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty extreme. But that's an opportunity to talk about all of the occasions for that that are never reported. Right. Uh, students have those things scratched on their books or their lockers, for example. And um, people of other communities have terrible images sent to them now using social media. Um, I think what's good about this is just what you said, that we want to start asking more people what's been happening to them. The technical term is reporting. And we need to lower the bar. It shouldn't take a property crime or a physical attack on someone to report these assaults to appropriate authorities. And we work hard on that. Our Salt Lake City police chief has been meeting with leaders of these different, of many different minorities, talking about how we literally can increase reporting. And I'll just say an administrator once told me what gets measured is what gets done. Mm -hmm. And I'll assert that what's get report, what gets re reported will be what's responded to. Oh, that's great insight as well. I love that. And I, and I think the more we stop and, and really think about uh, those experiences, sometimes we just talk about just the reporting or just the statistics or just those, you know, those big cases. Uh, but really trying to get yourself in someone else's shoes a little bit. What is that experience? What does that feel like for a seventh grader who who has a swastika etched into their into their locker or onto a, a textbook? What does that feel like uh, for someone to have that broad brush, as, as you said, Dr. Jacobson, in terms of something that is tied back to something so horrific as the Holocaust? Uh, so as, as we look at how we strive to move these conversations forward, what are the areas that you think we need to, obviously reporting is part of that, how else do we need to work together so that both majority communities and members of minority communities of all kind uh, can live together a little more peacefully, a little more uh, with a little more prosperity? So I'm a physician, and so I look at the world through a medical lens, and I also work in public health and epidemiology, so I think about disease not just in the individual but in the community. And I think we are working our way through an epidemic here of intolerance, polarization, and literally increasing hatred. Um, there's statistical evidence for that, which, again, is like the tip of the iceberg. Uh, in my community, the Jewish community, there were over 2,000 incidents considered hate crimes in the last year. We're the religion that is targeted the most when attacks are based on religion uh, and, and a particular faith. 
But overall, there are thousands of those. They approach 8,000 in their entirety. The black community, for example, experiences the very largest number, and the LGBTQ community has experienced a lot. And we're just learning that Asians have now become a target. So when you say what to do, I think that it's good to look at that as a common uh, event. That is, when people are different than the powerful majority and uh, situations become stressful, it's not unusual that people in the majority strike out at people who are different than they are. And even in non-stressful times, the majority often feels that others are inferior uh, to them, and so they're discriminated against. Those are realities, and I think if we include that as part of our education, have young people growing up understanding that as human beings, it's not unnatural that we tend to favor people who are and look like us and to disfavor others. So early education and particularly engagement. There are student engagement programs that bring students who are different together to do just what you said. Talk about what an experience like having a, a slanderous word or a hateful symbol directed at you feels like. And I really like your point, and I'm so respectful of young people. I'm pretty confident that if a 14-year-old Here's another 14-year-old school tell them how painful it is to hear a particular word. That's going to start slowing down very quickly. Uh, Great insight. Dr. Jay Jacobson, he's the chair of the Task Force on Anti-Semitism for the United Jewish Federation here in Utah. Great advocate uh, for helping get past some hate crime legislation here in the state. Thank you so much for your perspective today. Thanks for the opportunity and your questions. All right, we're going to continue with this conversation, these morally bankrupt ideas of superiority and dehumanizing of others, race, religion, gender, orientation. We can do better. We will do better. We're going to look at some other areas where we can do better after the top of the hour news. Stay with us. Much more to come on this special edition of Inside Sources. Live breaking news now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's news station. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.